Hello, welcome one and all to episode six of the Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Anthony Malakian, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. So today, you know, one story that maybe doesn't necessarily touch on capital markets, but affects pretty much everyone in the entire world, um, and one story that, or at least everyone in the United States, and then one story that uh, touches very heavily on the financial markets. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get into two different stories, two kind of different se- separate sects of the area. We'll start with Apple versus FBI. This has obviously gotten a lot of play. Everybody in the world, everybody in the U.S., a lot of people have the iPhones. I shouldn't say everybody. There's, you know, Samsung has made a strong push in the last couple few years, but a lot of people are affected by this Apple versus FBI. Uh, I'm just going to let Anthony take the lead on this. He's done a great job of covering this. He wrote up a great story the other day about um, kind of the, the battle between the two sides. So, Anthony, how about you? We jump right in with uh, Apple versus FBI. Sure, not a problem. Um, and you know, whether you have an Apple or any other phone, you know, this is going to be a case that has larger tentacles um, that are, you know, that that will affect you if you have any sort of mobile device. Um, so, as uh, December second, two thousand fifteen, um, uh, Saeed Rizwan uh, Farouk and his wife uh, Tashfin uh, Malik. Um, in San Bernardino, California, they killed 14 people and they injured 22 others on a shooting spree. Um, so, as a result, uh, the the uh, FBI recovered um, Saeed's uh, Apple uh, work phone. Uh, so his uh, his uh, work phone that was given to him, and it is encrypted. So what's at stake here is that. The FBI wants to be able to look at the encrypted data on that device to see, um, you know, if there's a larger terror cell at play here in the U.S., who he was contacting, um, just to see whatever kind of information that they can get from that added data um, to help ensure that something like this doesn't happen again. Um, What they are asking uh, Apple to do is they would like uh, them to Apple to create a way around the basically the self-destruction encryption uh, on the phone so that if the FBI enters in uh, tries to figure out the passcode on the phone and they fail the first 10 times what would happen right now is all the data everything on it just gets obliterated and destroyed and gone forever and they'll never be able to get at that information so it's a tool that doesn't currently exist, um, and so basically what the FBI said, uh, James Comey, uh, the FBI director, he said, uh, quote, uh, and this was an opinion piece on lawfare, but he said, we simply want the chance with a search warrant to try to guess the terrorist passcode without the phone essentially self-destructing and without it taking a decade to guess correctly. Um, we don't want to break anyone's encryptions or set a master key loose on the land. Uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook, uh, in the letter to customers, um, he said that this creates a dangerous precedent um, that it could be used by the government in the future, and that this tool that be, is created, even if it's protect, even if it's watched over and monitored, you know, right now, it could at one point 
leak out, and then it would basically uh, provide uh, what's called as a backdoor for hackers to find ways around uh, encryption on phones. So this would be anybody's phone, anybody's kind of device that they have. Um, so what uh, Tim Cook had said, specifically the FBI wants us to make a new version of the iPhone operating system, circumventing several important security features and installed on an iPhone recovered during the investigations. In the wrong hands, this software, which does not exist today, would have the potential to unlock any iPhone in someone's physical possession. The FBI may use different words to describe this tool, but make no mistake, building a version of iOS that bypasses security in this way would undeniably create a backdoor. And while the government may argue that its use would be limited to this, to, to this case, there is no way to guarantee such control. Um, you know, we come on here, we talk, we give our, our opinions a lot, and, you know, we, Dan and I each have a column that we write, uh, Dan writes for his column for... Uh, sell side technology. I write my column for buy side technology. Um, I'm always careful about you know giving my pains because ultimately you know who gives a damn what I think on something. And this is one of those things where if I'm at a bar, you know Dan and I we we had a bit of a discussion about this the other day at uh, our local watering hole. Um, I get a bit fired up a lot more. You know talking to a civilized group such as yourselves. Um, Basically, you know, I'll be careful to say, you know, my opinion doesn't matter much on this, but it is something that is important for everybody to follow. Um, they, they see, it boils down to a slippery slope argument, and I hate slippery slope arguments. I hate them when they come to, you know, the gun debate. It drives me nuts when I hear these slippery slope arguments. Like, no, we're not talking about, we're talking about this one instance right here. I am inclined to be much more concerned and find validity in a slippery slope argument in this case. Um, but I don't necessarily know the full, you know, you, you got to be careful kind of giving your opinions on these things because I don't really know the full details of what is to be created. I don't understand the technology behind what the FBI is asking Apple to create. Um, but what this basically boils down to and where this will have an effect on you know, capital marks firms and just people day to day is as we become more digital, as um, we become more reliant on cloud uh, devices and the Internet, um, we need to better understand privacy laws and be able to tailor those privacy laws to this this internet age. Um, next week, um, uh, was it Texas Republican Michael McCall and Virginia Democrat Mark Warner? Uh, they said that uh, next week they're going to introduce a bill in the House uh, that would form a commission to address digital security. Um, that is certainly something that would that I would think needs to be done. Um, that there has to be a commission created. To help adjudicate in these kinds of cases, the um, the the order that was delivered in this case that was saying that Apple has to help the FBI in this was delivered through the All Writs Act, which was created in 1789. It was redone in 1911 and has been amended several times along the way. But still, you it's I don't know, so I think that can be the base uh, argument um, when trying to get search warrants on these kinds of cases. And to ask a company to create a new technology to help out, 
again, that's where you know the slip. My, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that you know that the government's out to get us or anything like that. But they say that they're using this in a terrorist case. And the thing that really kind of galls me on this is it's it's hard to overcome the terrorism trump card. And I agree so much with that there needs to be uh, that we need to help out our government agencies um, in these kinds of cases. Um, but there also has to be because the the Wall Street Journal then reported that there are twelve other cases um, that where the FBI is um, seeking a similar uh, kind of warrant uh, the, uh, from the Wall Street Journal report. Uh, the Journal Justice Department is currently pursuing court orders to force Apple Inc. to help investigators extract data from iPhones in about a dozen other a dozen undisclosed cases around the country. But sources told the Wall Street Journal that those cases do not involve terrorism. My worry, you know, my radars start ticking off. Um, you know, again, I'm happy if anybody ever wants to chat with me about this, you know, over a beer or something like that. I'm more than happy to. Uh, but I think that right now it is important for people to follow. Now, in the people that I spoke with for this story, so I, I reached out to a couple people in the capital markets uh, that we cover. And just ask for their opinions on it. To be honest with you, the feedback I got mostly, they didn't seem as concerned. They thought that this was being blown out into more of a policy issue when it really isn't at stake um, right now. So, you know, I mean, uh, who is that? Russell Stern, uh, President CEO of Solar Flare. You know, he sided with, uh, and it's funny because the lone tech giant that kind of sided with the government was Bill Gates. Um he said that this is, you know, not as big of a deal. Uh, Russell Stern, president CEO of Solar Flare, uh, he told me, you know, that this is not a big deal. That this is being, uh, quote, has been completely blown out of proportion, and that uh, Apple's turned this into a public privacy issue, and it's not. So, I mean, there's still a lot that's good. Rest assured, at this case, and as Stern though also noted, that this case is going to get uglier. It's going to be more contentious. Um, if commissions created. You know, this could have a long-lasting effect that could go to the courts. Um, I guess I've rambled on enough about it. Uh, Dan, uh, what are your thoughts here, I guess? Yeah, I think just at the end of the day, it boils down to exactly what you said. It's a slippery slope. It's, I don't, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that said, that would say, no, we don't want to find out what's in that iPhone. We don't want to find out if there's more terror cells. I, I think that it, in itself itself is a good concept and a good idea for our government to have. Where it gets slippery is, oh, well, it's going to be used in this one case. Then you start hearing reports, well, there's 12 other phones that we want to use this for. And maybe they're not involved, all involved in terror. So it kind of, it grows and it grows and it grows. And it's, I guess it comes down to what's your trust in the government that they're going to use this when necess- only when necessary. Let me say, I trust the government, but who's to say down the line that you know that that that's not just the government again this tool exists it's now been created it's now in the world now all of a sudden let's say if there's a leak let's say somebody inside apple leaks out that tool leaks out the schematics behind building it's a very complex thing to build this isn't something that's very easy to build all to get data that they might not even be able to get to you know, I think that you know it's it's more than just a trust of the government or mistrust of the government. I don't want to come off you know seeming like some Yahoo that thinks that the government's out to get us. I don't believe that at all. Um, but I do worry about the future the precedent, a tool that's being created, being told to be created by the government to a vendor, 
saying create this tool to help us out. Um, maybe it's been done plenty of times in the past and I'm just not as familiar. Uh, again, if somebody has insight on that, I'd be more than happy to listen to it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. It's an interesting debate. It'll be I don't this isn't going to go anywhere. It's been on the front page of a lot of newspapers the past few weeks and I think it's going to stay there because so many people use iPhones, so many people have phones and security is so important to so many people that it'll be interesting to see where this goes and everyone like you'd mentioned from Zuckerberg to Jack Dorsey to the heads, heads of Google's and Google and whatnot everyone's kind of piping in and it seems to be such a such an important case it'll be interesting to see where it goes so let's transition to something that's a little bit more topical for our readers and that's talks of the London Stock Exchange Group and uh, Deutsche Börse and uh, the detailed discussions uh, over a potential merger of equals between the two European exchanges. So you've probably seen the stories, but uh, essentially there's talks between the two sides. Um, it would make, uh, if the deal were to happen, Deutsche Börse shareholders would own 54.4% of the combined entity, while LSE uh, shareholders would hold the remaining 45.6%. Uh, these two have danced before. There was uh, a deal back in 2000 that eventually was scrapped. Uh, then a $1.8 billion bid from Deutsche Börse for LSE was rejected back in 2005. Uh from a technology perspective, I'm not going to get into the, the whole market perspective per se because I don't have that much of a handle on but from specifically the technology perspective, I think the most interesting aspect of this is what's going to happen to the underlying entities of both of these firms, the Euronext, the, the LH, L, LCH uh, clearing, the, the, the smaller technology pieces, where are those going to go and what's going to happen to the underlying platforms. So for LSE, you have Millennium IT. For uh, for Deutsche Börse, you have Seven Market Technology. What's going to happen to both of those? Millennium IT uh, is pretty well known in the space. Uh, it's a lot of other exchanges. I mentioned this in, a, in an opinion piece, or particularly in developing markets, use it. Uh, Seven Market Technology is also uh, been used by a lot of other exchanges. That's a big revenue point for a lot of these exchanges. Uh, as everyone knows, revenue has been down for a lot of exchanges. So the way they make their money is they sell out, you know, they distribute, they commoditize these platforms. What's going to happen to those? That is, I, I can't see either of them wanting to shutter the other one and take over because that that would be a big bill. That'd be a big pro implementation project. Also, what's going to happen to these smaller pieces? According to statements, everything's going to keep its original branding. Everything's going to keep its original name. Uh, you know, the according to uh, to takeover deals, something needs to occur by March 22nd at 5 p.m. due to uh, the takeover code. That's kind of a a wishy-washy date because it can be extended. So I think at the end of the day, this will get pushed back for a while. It's going to take a long time to figure out all the different moving parts, but it's definitely interesting because if it does happen, this will be, you know, a monster exchange in Europe. And then, I mean, the next move, and this is real speculation, but then now that they're, they would be so huge in Europe, would they make the move over to the over to the U.S.? Would they try to acquire some exchange in the U.S.? What would that be? How would they kind of try to make that expansion? There's a lot of moving pieces. It's still very early days, but uh, it's definitely interesting to our space, and it's be interesting to see how the technology is going to shake out. Anthony, what do you have on uh, this move? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the underlying companies, as you say, are going to be very interesting. Um, I'll be down in the FIA Boca 
uh, conference um, later in March, um, middle of March, and I'll actually be speaking with a couple of uh, those underlying companies while I'm there uh, just to hear about what they're working on. Um, as you said, they've tried to go down this road a couple times to make this merger happen um, and failed at it. Uh, politics plays so much into these kind of things, so what do we know about that? Um, it will be interesting to see. I think that if it goes through, I think that rather than having them stand as two separate entities, I think that there will be winners and losers on the platform side, and some of these companies will get spun out, and that you know that you'll have a winner loser platform. Um, while you know, you, while they always like say that this is to uh, expand our product and geographical range. Um, it's the cutting cost through elimination of techno uh, technological uh, operational redundancy uh, is a huge factor. Um, we, um, a former colleague of ours, Jake Thomas, has had written about that um, after the um, ICE and NICE uh, merger and BATS and DirectEdge. So uh, it'll play out however it plays out. It'll be interesting to see who the winners and losers are. Uh, if anybody has some thoughts on what who they think should win out, which platform should win out, and which one should get sunsetted, which one should get spun away, uh, Dan and I would certainly be interested to hear about that. Yeah, you talk about you talk about uh, policies. Also, that's another big piece is that the amount of regulators you're dealing with German regulators, you're dealing with British regulators, you're dealing with EU regula regulators that all have to kind of clear this deal and go through this deal. So there's a lot of moving parts. I think just like the Apple versus FBI talks, this LSE versus Deutsche Börse is not going anywhere anytime soon. It'll probably be in and out of the media and there'll be a lot of talks unless, you know, this all turns out to be for not and, you know, Deutsche Börse walks away. But with the fact that both sides released press releases on this, announcing this, it would look, they'd look pretty silly. And I think there'd be a lot of egg on both of their faces if they weren't able to, to put something together. Uh, I think that's all in terms of news in the financial services space, uh, hard news, so to speak. But, you know, Anthony and I were talking and something that, you know, we love TV, we love watching television. Uh, so one thing that kind of cropped up to me that I thought we should maybe touch on is the show Billions uh, on Showtime. Uh, I think it's very interesting because it's specific to the capital markets. For those of you that don't know, Damian Lewis plays Bobby Axrod. Damian Lewis uh, played Brody in Homeland, if you're familiar with that show. He's a British guy with red hair, um, or maybe he's Irish. I'm not sure. He's somewhere from, from over there. But uh, he plays Bobby Axrod, who runs uh, Axe Capital, a hedge fund located in Connecticut. And uh, shocker, he doesn't necessarily play by the rules. And uh, Paul Giamatti is Chuck Rhodes, who is a U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Manhattan, and he's looking to take down uh, Bobby Axelrod. Axelrod is kind of like a, I guess you could almost compare him to, I know he doesn't run a hedge fund, but you can always compare him to a Mark Cuban type, how he's this, you know, big shot in the community. People like him. Uh, he got a big turn. His, his firm really did well after 9-11. He kind of rose from the ashes. So he's kind of looked at as this, this hero amongst those of the billionaires. So it's just really interesting because it's a lot of insider trading, a lot of, a lot of talk that you don't necessarily always hear. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, who, uh, was one of the writers on the newsroom, which is, a, I know, a favorite of Anthony's. Um, he's one of the writers on this show, which always adds an interesting dynamic because of the dialogue that's written in. But I know 
Anthony's only gotten one episode in. What do you, I mean, what do you think about? We don't necessarily all the time see shows so specific into our space, and this seems like one of those shows. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, it was funny watching the just like the one of the first opening scenes. Um, you have uh, Axelrod talking with uh, two of his you know underlings, and they're all kind of just talking, and they seem to spew out every single technical jargony term that is possible to spew out in a two-minute span. So I had me laughing. It's like, see, guys, we have some street cred here. You know, we know what we're talking about. You know, just try to establish that right off the bat. Uh, but, I mean, for me, you know, Aaron Sorkin, can, he can't do wrong. I mean, I've, I've never watched a... Mm, no, he can he can definitely do wrong. What? Let's let's stop you. I mean, I think we, we disagree on this. I watched the newsroom, but I think the newsroom is a little bit of a sham. I mean, you're... And we've we, you we just had, don't have we a heart, Dan. You just can't feel good about you know. What I mean, this aspiring, he's an aspiring writer. God, I, I love his. I, I understand. Like no one liked the news from that I talked with. Really, <laughs> no one, no one talks like characters in Aaron Sorkin uh, movies we or shows. Talk. We should aspire to talk like the characters in Aaron Sorkin movies. Okay. Well, if that's my aspiration, then I should sh- clearly change my career and life goals. If that is what I'm shooting for, uh, so I, I would say it is an interesting show. I'm gonna definitely uh, maybe this weekend uh, binge watch it. I ain't got much going on. I ain't got much going on. You won't see that kind of talking in uh, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, no. No. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. It seems a little bit overwrought. You know, seems a little bit earnest. Obviously. Um, so, but yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, you got some great actors in it, so there's a lot of potential for this to kind of kick off and really become something good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have one of our favorite shows, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is having a bit of a resurgence this season with some of the episodes they've had, uh, Mountain Rules is one. Uh, the the Suburbs episode is another that's been incredible. For those of you that aren't familiar, uh, the show has been compared to Seinfeld on crack. <laughs> uh, it's you know the 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 one recognizable star that most normal people would know is Danny DeVito, who plays kind of the not the ringleader of the gang, but the money backing of the gang, and which they call themselves the gang, and it's just. It's it's hard to describe. I don't know how I would describe Always Sunny to someone that's never seen it. It's four people in their 30s that own a bar and the shenanigans they get into with Danny DeVito as well. And just the absurdity and the, the best, my favorite part of the show has been how as the seasons have progressed, Danny DeVito, who started off as this respected businessman who wanted to get to know two of his children uh, who are on the show, uh, Sweet D and, uh, and Dennis, and how he's gone more and more off the deep end and you see how his hair has gotten longer and how he's gotten into more awful and awful things and he's just become this really despicable human being but that we all love and that we think is hilarious so i mean what i know we've talked about this too what are your thoughts so far in the newest season and how impressed you've been with some of the storylines they've done you know it started off a bit slow you know with the first two episodes were a bit you know kind of flashbacky but uh it's really kind of kicked off. The Suburbs episode is an all-timer. Could go down as my favorite. I gotta watch, I've watched it probably about five, six times already. I'll watch it a bunch more. Uh, Being Frank was just revolutionary. It was great. Um, Mount Rules, obviously. Uh, great uh, spoof of uh, 80s movies. And then um, the uh, recent Bird Law one. Just 
they all have me crying laughing. Um, it's like how reverent is, you know, and that they don't learn. They don't grow. None of that. You know, let's just, we're going to be incorrect here, and we're just going to have some fun. Uh, it's not for everybody, uh, certainly, uh, but it is the funniest show on television. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty great season. To that tune, uh, we'll touch on a couple more shows that two shows that are coming up soon that we're both big fans of, respectively. First up, Archer, uh, cartoon show. I it's on FX or FXX. FX, okay, two X's. so it's on FXX. Uh, really funny. Um, the uh, who plays? Who's the voice of Lana? She's the one that. Uh, I know John Benjamin does. Um... Right, but I the the more recognizable of everyone on that show, I think, is Lana because that's uh I can't think of her name, but she's a, a well known. She's if you hear her voice, you'll kind of recognize who it is. But it's very funny, very witty comedy, a lot of callbacks, a lot of uh, pop culture references, basically about a spy who is mama's boy and is loaded and kind of the stuff he gets into. Aisha Tyler. Aisha Tyler. Yes. So that's probably the most recognizable name of everyone on that, that show, I would think. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Tony, you're a lot bigger John fan. Benjamin. He's Bob's burgers too. Oh yeah. I'm sure so many people know Bob's Shut burgers. Up, uh, real quick, Tony, I mean, what are your thoughts? Excited about the upcoming season or what? Yeah. You know, the, the, the writers there, they get a little bit bored with the, you know, they, they, they like to change it up, so you had the Miami Vice season, which a lot of people didn't like. You know, I've watched it again, and I've, I've learned to love it again. Last season was very strong. Again, they're going to change up the scene uh, and go out to Hollywood. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I, I trust in them, uh, even though I prefer when they're just doing their government agency, regular uh, spying stuff. But Speaking of government, wow, that was an awesome transition. Good job, Dan. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Speaking of government, finally, one of the bigger shows, I think, probably in pop culture, comes back, I believe it's Friday. I think it's Friday. Yeah, March, first first weekend of March is House of Cards, a personal favorite of mine. I have a a date set to binge watch it first weekend it's out. I love it. I think Kevin Spacey's awesome. I think it's an awesome show. A lot of people went sour on uh, season three. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, Tony, I know you have a a differing opinion. Uh, Real quick, what is your your hot take on House of Cards' newest season? I couldn't care less. I stopped watching after season three. Season one was fantastic. Season two started to go off deep end. Got halfway into season three. I'm like, this is... Just the dumbest show. To say Jump the Shark would, I it, it doesn't do Fonzie any justice. Uh, no, I'm done. All right, well, that's an awful opinion. So there's your daily, weekly uh, awful opinion from Anthony Malikian. Uh, to wrap things up, we have some news for in our offices. Uh, Anthony, how about you let our uh, listeners know what's going on? Yep, uh, we're hiring a new staff writer here in uh, New York office. Uh, you get to learn how to be a journalist under my tutelage. It's worked so well for Dan over here. Grown by leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds, people. <laughs> so um, if you want any information on it, uh, we'll be posting it around the site and on uh, our various uh, you know, Twitter accounts, stuff like that. Or just shoot me an email, anthony.malakian at incisivemedia.com, and I'll get you the information. And uh, finally, we the Cell Side Technology Awards, the submission deadline was pushed back one week. The last day to submit is Friday, um, the 26th. So if you're listening to this after Friday, then 
Oh, well, too bad. Um, 28 categories, 26 that are submittable. Um, best product and uh, best provider is voted on by the judging panel after everything's said and done. The actual awards are held April 21st at the Marriott Marquis. The event is preceded by the North American Trading and Architecture Summit, NATAS, uh bunch of good people. We're actually putting the final touches on that and we should be releasing the program sometime soon. So we'll let you know when that is out. So definitely if you haven't already, get those uh get those submissions in. Other than that, I think that's everything we shocker. We went long when we thought we were gonna go short, but I guess that is the way it is. Anthony, before I let uh them go, anything else you'd like to add? Got nothing. All right. Well, uh, as always, let us know if you have any feedback. Let us know if you have any topics you want us to talk about. All the contact details are below in the uh, in the post. But if not, we'll uh, have a great weekend, and we'll hear from you next Thursday. Mm-hmm.